Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As the world's first IMBA Gold Level Ride Center since 2012, Park City, Utah is a premier mountain biking destination. What makes Park City a Gold Level Ride Center? For starters, the immediate area boasts a diverse variety of trails spread across 450 miles, with everything from paved commuting paths for a family-friendly ride to aggressive cross-country rides like the epic Wasatch Crest Trail. Combined with magnificent scenery, numerous bars and restaurants, world-class accommodations, free public transit, and a wide range of entertainment options, it's no wonder that Park City was awarded gold. Experiencing Park City, Utah has never been easier, and there's never been a better time than now. Arrange your stay, rent a bike, and book a guide by visiting mountainbikingparkcity.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today I have two very special guests, uh, both talking about Oscar Blues and Reeb Cycles. So we have with us Jeff Lenoski, who's a pro mountain biker and Reeb-sponsored athlete. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And we've also got Aaron Baker, who is the senior marketing manager for Oscar Blues. What's up, Aaron? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So... For a lot of people, you know, Oscar Blues is known primarily as a beer company, but the brand also has a big toe in the mountain bike world with the Reeb bike brand. Aaron, what's the connection between Oscar Blues and Reeb and like how did that sort of get started? Yeah, so the origin story is uh, pretty funny. Dale had lent his bike uh, to somebody. Dale, who is the founder of Oscar Blues and Dale's Pale Ale and yeah. Yeah, and also the the founder of Reeb Cycles, his, his, and then his bike got stolen. What kind of bike was it? Do you know? Oh, Jeff, I, I'm not. I can't remember. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> I forget the name of the brand, but Chris Solfrain, yeah. who then went on to weld frames for Reeb, was the guy making them. But I forget the brand that he was doing them under. Yeah, so it was like sort of a b- boutique brand. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It was a it was a handmade Colorado brand. And then I'll let Adam or Aaron finish the story. But yeah, he got his bike stolen and just said, F it, I'm going to start a bike brand. Yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. In true Dale fashion. Yeah. And I think that'll probably come up a couple of times, which is, that's the origin of a lot of these things with Oscar Blues and with Dale is like, you know, either he just says, screw it, I'm going to do it myself and, and started Reef Cycles. And it sort of went from there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of an unusual name until you realize that Reeb is just beer spelled backward, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it helps uh, on the side of a car if you're looking in a mirror because uh, then it, it becomes very obvious. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely you know a direct offshoot of what was going on with the brewery at the time, just kind of experiencing crazy growth and, and mountain bike culture is so central to what Oscar Blues is all about and the sort of lifestyle side of, of what we do, you know, after work and before work. So it made sense to, uh, you know, start making bikes and, and Dale was, you know, digging the, the hardtail single speed thing at the time. And so they, they kind of started out as, as those kind of hardcore steel badass bikes and it's sort of grown from there and expanded into all kinds of things yeah so this isn't just like a little you know side project like i'll make a couple bikes it'll be fun you know we'll put our, our label on it i mean over the past year or two maybe maybe more seems like there's been this real effort to grow the brand and then obviously sponsoring jeff lenoski now and expanding the line of bikes like what's driving this is there a lot of demand or is this still like Dale's just like, oh, now I need a gravel bike. Now I need a full suspension. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Dale just loves to interject, you know, put energy, put all of, you know, the energy into these things. And I think he just doubled down on, on Reeb a couple of years ago and decided that, you know, he really wanted to make a go of it. And, and you know, the, the bike shop had opened up around the same time and that has been incredibly successful. So, 
you know, I think they decided to uh, to really go for it and and expand, you know, beyond the the sort of niche frames that they weren't were making to to make uh, some frames for for other folks, including you know, like what you said, the gravel gravel bikes and the full suspension, which was you know obviously a big change coming from the hardtails. I I was a little surprised when I heard about it, but um, it's been it's been amazing, and and I'm sure Jeff will touch on that. Yeah, Jeff, what's what's your experience been like? I feel like when we first had you on the podcast, that was right about the time maybe you were talking with Reeb or you know looking at switching sponsors. Was that were you surprised that they were like open to sponsoring like a really well known athlete like yourself? Um, yeah, actually a little bit. I mean, I was working with us, or I've been working with Oscar Blues for about the past four years, and that whole relationship started because. I did a mountain bike ride in Moab. I did the whole enchilada probably seven or eight years ago. And, and prior to that, I was admittedly a, a trash beer drinker. I would, I would go to, I'd go to brew pubs and ask, what do you have that's closest to Coors Light? And I remember finishing the whole enchilada with some friends from Utah and they opened a cooler and there were Dales in there. And I was, and I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah. And I tried it and it was awesome. So then I was always aware of Oscar Blues. I thought it was kind of, kind of cool that was like my first bike and beer experience to be honest with you Hmm. and then flash forward till about four years ago i saw nate hills was wearing an oscar blues helmet and then they started doing some stuff with nico and it was just a very casual conversation i was having with somebody at a at a giant sales meeting and I just, I don't remember how it came up, but I just said, oh yeah, that would be so cool to have a beer sponsor. Oscar Blues does a ton of stuff with mountain biking. And the woman that I was talking to, a friend of mine, Mercedes, was like, oh, I'm really good friends with Dale. And I was like, no way, you should you should send an email. And I didn't think it would go anywhere, you know. And then, you know, the next day I got an email that Chad Milas, who was doing marketing for Oscar Blues at the time, and Dale and myself were all copied on. And they all like started responding like, oh, hey, Jeff, you like big fan or whatever. And I was like, holy crap, I can't believe these guys actually know who I am. Like I was starstruck by them, you know, so I was like, well, that's that's starting off on the right foot because, you know, I still remember being a kid 20 years ago, like calling people randomly and like trying to explain to them what you do, you know. So I was like, if they if they already know who I am, that's that sounds pretty cool. So we had some conversations and, and I learned that they were doing a bunch of events, um, craft beer festivals and things like that. And I, you know, thought that that was like the perfect venue to do trials demos at. Oh, for sure. Um, because that was my background was doing mountain bike trials demonstrations. So if you're not familiar with that, it's, mountain bike trials is basically the discipline of mountain biking where it's not how far or how fast, it's just riding over stuff. So when I go for a mountain bike ride, I'm always trying to find the, the hardest sections of trail or boulders off the side of the trail or logs, whatever. So it was really conducive to like doing a demonstration as well. So I had a truck and a trailer with like a portable, like bicycle parkour course that you just ride all over. So that was like the beginning of our relationship was just trying to do like some activations together. They had these festivals where there's crowds of people and it's a perfect opportunity to, um, you know, get on your bike and demonstrate in front of people. And Aaron was one of the guys who, you know, brought me on board as well with Oscar Blues. So started doing mountain bike trials demos. And that's that's when I just started my YouTube channel. Um, So they were sponsoring my videos on that, too. And it was a really cool relationship because then they started really ramping up their participation in Candade, which is like a third arm of this whole thing. Candade was a, a nonprofit organization that Dale started years back. And it's kind of morphed into helping kids in need with musical instruments, donations, bicycle instrument donations. Um, And once I saw they were donating bicycles, that was also like super close to my heart because I was, you could go and demonstrate for the kids. And I was lucky enough to have my parents buy me my first bike, but these kids aren't. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of Oscar Blues stuff and Candade stuff. And then last year I was just kind of getting frustrated with riding for such a big corporation like for for a bicycle and and the their needs for me didn't really align with what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So we just started to see this disconnect. So I was I was sort of looking around at different opportunities. I was it was I was really surprised by the uh 
by the amount of attention that I had gotten from the bike industry once I started putting those feelers out because, you know, I rode for that for Giant for 17 years before that. So you don't know, like, are other people and should mountain biking isn't like, you know, a lot of people think people knock on your door and ask to sponsor you. Like I could count on one hand after riding 23 years, how many times somebody's approached me to be sponsored. Everybody just always figures like if you're riding for somebody, you're good, you know, you're happy and, and whatever. But the fact of the matter is I wasn't. So when I, so once I started putting those feelers out, it wasn't like super gratifying. I was just looking for something different, but it was a lot of just the same big corporations again. And it just kind of felt like the same, but different. And then it was just like a casual comment a friend of Aaron's and mine, she also had done marketing and now she runs Candid. Diana sent out an email like, because I made a video, Farewell Giant, when I knew I was moving on, but I thought I was going to this other, basically the same same size company, just <laughs> different. And uh, she said, Farewell Giant, hello, Reeb, question mark. And I, <laughs> and I knew all the guys from Reeb and they're, they're super good guys. We've, we've ridden together. Their bikes are always awesome, but it was such a small brand. I, I just never really thought about that as being feasible. And the second she sent that email, I was just like obsessed with that idea. I thought I worked with a brand for 17 years. I never really had any say like in product design or whatever. They just give you stuff and you, you ride it and whatever. Yeah. Once the opportunity like presented, it was like kind of in my face because I'd been around Reeb forever, but just never thought that that could actually work. Then I was obsessed. <laughs> so I within like seven days, I had a bunch of phone calls with Dale. He expressed interest in like kind of growing the brand. I thought it was something that I could really sink my teeth into and, and try to help grow. And I made a phone call and told the other company I wasn't going to ride for him. I was going to work with Reeb. <laughs> and it's honestly like the best decision I've ever made in my entire career. Wow. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I just... uh from how you know you you ride for so long you have all these ideas and input and whatever and and working with a brand where you could actually give that to somebody and, act, and you know see it come to fruition is awesome yeah who would have thought the beer guys are cool right and and the other thing is um talking to all my different co-sponsors which are like a huge part of my program it gets you know it gets you could ride for this big brand or that big brand. And there's so many like overlaps and whether people, you know, they, they, your other sponsors want to partner with them and whatever. And the second I said, Reeb, it was one of two comments. Those guys make awesome stuff or I've never heard of them, but it was like as, as perfect as an image for an athlete as you could possibly have, because there, nobody had anything bad to say about Reeb. It was either they make awesome stuff or I've never heard of them. Perfect scenario. So even a year later, like talking to all of my partners now, like everybody's so stoked on Reeb because it's our product keeps getting better and better. It's a good quality product it's made in the U.S. It's got an awesome story behind it. So it's been great. Yeah. And are you the only athlete so far? Well, Adam Procise is our main fabricator of the suspension bike, and he does a bunch of racing, and he's awesome. Mm -hmm. So he is also, you know, an employee athlete for Reeb. Um, and then we have some ambassadors that we support, but yeah, as far as athletes to, of, uh, of the support that I get would be like myself or Adam. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been, it's been great. Yeah. And so we kind of mentioned, you know, in the lineup now there, there are actually a ton of bikes. There's a gravel bike or two, there's a fat bike, there's a clunker, which is really awesome. Um, and then of course some hardcore hardtails. So what are, what are the bikes that you're currently riding and can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, that's also been one of the best parts about working with Reeb. Like everything is super organic. So we don't sit down and have marketing strategy meetings and figure out like what we need to make that's uh, popular. It basically boils down to whether or not somebody within Reeb wants to ride it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah, they're passionate about it. Right. So everybody was riding hardtails. And right around the time that we came out with the Squeeb, we brought in Adam, who was a super fast local Colorado guy and a and a fabricator outside of the bicycle world mm -hmm. and he really helped steer the development of that bike because he's a really good rider he's a progressive rider he has all these ideas that are outside the box um, so he is he has been really responsible from taking that bike from a just kind of like a trail 
uh, trail two niner, 140 millimeter travel bike to a super progressive, fast, capable bike. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, to be clear, that's a full suspension. It's an aluminum frame. Yep. Yep. Full suspension, aluminum mountain bike. Everything's made in the U.S. That bike is now offered in a 140, 130 millimeter configuration and 150 millimeter configuration. And the really cool thing about that bike is there is a uh, shock mount that you could change. And you, so you change the actual shock and the shock mount, but then you could ride the same exact frame at either 130 millimeters or 150 millimeters. So you don't need to go out and buy a new bike or whatever. It requires a different shock, but you could conceivably ride your bike 130 millimeters all week long. And if you have a trip to the bike park, you know, twice a year and you want to make that thing like super capable, like you can send it off anything. You just change your shock. You don't have to buy a new bike or anything. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Another super exciting thing. Um, one of the kind of legacy bikes that they had over at Reeb was called Ediculous. So it's, it was the Reeb Ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just quick sidetrack. I worked with Oscar Blues for three years until I realized that Reeb was beer backwards. <laughs> and I rode for Reeb for about two months until I realized that the Ridiculous was Reeb Ridiculous. So uh. I'm not, I don't really catch on to those things. But I remember going to, to Reeb Ranch in North Carolina for about three years, never even dawning on me that it was beer backwards. I would just go meet Aaron and do these festivals. And I think maybe, I don't know. I feel like Aaron was the guy that said something about Reeb being beer backwards once. And I was like, Oh my God, I'd never realized that. So they had this really awesome bike called the Ridiculous. And last year I got on that bike and there was a bunch of things that I really liked about it, but there was a few things where I felt we could tweak it a little bit more to, um, really make it like your Swiss Army knife of bikes. So I dreamt up this idea and gave it to Chris Solfrain, which was our fabricator at the time. It was basically the Ridiculous with a slacker head angle, shorter chain stays, and a really, really, really low standover height, just because you can get dropper posts with so much drop nowadays, you're not really limited. You don't have to have that traditional diamond frame anymore. Right. So he built me this like kind of out of the box, like, you know, extreme for most standards for a hardtail. And I started riding it and I loved it. And like I said, everything there happened so organic. I started posting pictures of it. People started asking if it was available. And one thing came to another and we added it into our lineup for 2020. So that's, that is the ridiculous. So we have the ridiculous, which is more of your just traditional trail bike, bike packing bike, you know, a little bit more XC. And then we also have the ridiculous that I could take to any bike park and send off any drop or do my trials inspired riding. If I, if I was stranded on a desert island with one bike, I'd probably take the ridiculous. Oh, cool. So yeah, is that the one you do a lot of your trials stuff or do you still have like a dedicated trials bike that you pull out for certain things? So the one cool thing about that, when I go for candidate trips, I'm usually going to different areas and doing demos for kids and then also, you know, trying to hit up local trails whenever, whenever I go and do those trips, I'll always bring the ridiculous. But if I was going to like really get into like super difficult trials riding or doing like, if I knew I was only going to do a trials demo, I did have the guys from Reeb make me a 27.5 custom trials bike. That's really awesome. And again, I had a, two people from Instagram ask if that bike was available. And, and one of the things that we do as Reeb is, you know, make custom bikes. So we obviously have our quote unquote production bikes, but two different guys reached out and said they wanted a 27.5 trials bike and we made them for them. So that that's kind of obscure. I wouldn't really call that a production thing because there's not a ton of people that want trials bikes nowadays, but we made it and I love it. And, and a couple people have bought them. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. And then we have, we have some gravel bikes. We have some new gravel products coming out. I just got one of our gravel bikes and I'm and I'm loving it. So, yeah, so we have the hardtail mountain bikes, the two suspension mountain bikes and some cyclocross and gravel bikes that we are in the process of updating, but we've had in the lineup for for a number of years. Cool. Yeah, well, I want to ask a few more questions about the bikes, but also Aaron, we're going to get to you. We're going to talk about beer as well in the second half of the show. So, I feel like I've been stealing all the airtime. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Bikes, 
bikes are just as important as beer in, in my exactly. mind. Exactly. So. Yep. So, Jeff, you mentioned that uh, there's a production facility in Lyons, Colorado, uh, where the bikes are fabricated and built. Are the aluminum frames being built there as well? It seems like that's kind of rare to see domestic frame builders working in aluminum. It's very rare to see see bikes made in the U.S. now, but those bikes are made entirely in Colorado. Oh, cool. Um, so all the CNC machining is done there. The welding is done there. The mitering of the tubes, everything's built in-house. And one really cool fun fact about the space that we're in now is we are – our production facility is now in the barn where Dale originally made their first um, huh. Dale's Pale Ale. Wow. So there's some really cool history behind the space that we're in. Yeah, that's really cool. Are there like two separate tool sets then? Because Reeb still does a lot of bikes in steel as well, right? Yep. Yep. They uh, different different welding setups, you know, different jigs and stuff like that. But um, we have two, two full-time welders there now, Adam Procise who I mentioned earlier, who's a super fast enduro racer. He does most of our aluminum fabrication and then we, and then he does some steel frame fabrication and we have another welder, Paul, that helps out with that. Uh, and Sam. So everything is, is welded there. Cool. So we also kind of mentioned, uh, Reeb Ranch, which is, a spot in Western North Carolina near DuPont State Forest, actually, where there's a lot of great mountain bike trails. And it's like a big, like, I don't know, what would you call it? Almost like a farm. I mean, it's a ranch. It's like a ranch where people can stay and there's events that are held there. And then also, obviously, you know, there's the bike brand and the bike shop in Longmont. Does somebody, I mean, I guess I know the answer to this. I know who it is. You know, it sounds like <laughs> Dale has a bit of a, an addiction to spending money on his hobbies, or maybe like you guys said, he just kind of like follows his interests, but are these things profitable from a business standpoint? Aaron, maybe you can speak to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's an addiction, but Dale just loves pushing, pushing boundaries and, and like, you know, the guy, if you spent any amount of time with him, he just has an insane amount of energy that seems to come from some mysterious place. So I think he, you know, he's looking constantly looking for projects to, to pour that energy into. And he kind of, you know, if he's going to do something, he's going to go all out. So that's, that's the, the beginnings of a lot of these things just are, you know, come from that crazy energy source that I'm still trying to find out where it comes from, but I think it's, it's just some mystical place that only he controls. So, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these things, because they're so authentic and organic and, you know, that, that energy I think has been, you know, Dale also surrounds himself with just amazing people. And I think, you know, the Reeb guys, are certainly a testament to that where they're just fun to be around, you know, and it feels like a family. And I'm sure Jeff, you know, that was, that, that was my experience when I just first started working at Oscar blues. And when I met the Reed guys back then, and, you know, so Dale surrounds himself with these, these great people and, and that translates to the, the customer too, or the consumer. And, um, you know, uh, you know, as a marketing guy, it's really just my job to not screw up because so much of it is, is authentic and real. And, and, you know, we, we do the best we can to communicate that to, to people, but I think it, we've been lucky enough to, to have Dale as the source of a lot of that. And, and if you start out, you know, along the, the right path, doing the right things, then, then, you know, the money and the profitability and, and the ability to, to do more cool you know, that comes along with, with yeah. all that. Yeah, that's that's a great answer, a great way to look at it. So Oscar Blues started in Colorado and then opened a second brewery in North Carolina near the Pisgah National Forest. I think it was about eight years ago. And that's where you're located, right, Aaron? Yep. I'm there right now. So what, <laughs> what, what made that location a good choice to open a, a second brewery? So, you know, the guys at Oscar Blues and Dale were really looking at, at where we were shipping beer at that time, right around 2011, 2012. And, you know, I think they were a little surprised at how much beer was getting shipped east of the Mississippi. 
Uh, and we, we still cold ship all our beer, you know, which is better for the beer itself. It, it travels better. It gets, uh, to the consumer and the beer drinker fresher. And, uh, especially with hoppy beers, that's a really important trait. So, but cold ship, cold shipping beer, especially over long distances also gets to be a little bit expensive. So, you know, it, it started to make sense to, to look at a location somewhere along the East coast. And Dale had a, a, good, a very good friend um, who lives in Brevard and is actually in the music industry. But so Dale had visited him and ridden his bike around the area. I think back then Pisgah was, it, I don't think Pisgah was even really talked about at the time. It was more about Sali and, and places like that. But it, this was before, I think Bible of the Bike uh, came out in like 2012. And that's when Pisgah kind of blew up. But, you know, Dale had definitely been around the area and really fell in love with Brevard. Speaking of Lions, where, where Reed Cycles is and where we still have our little pilot brewery. Lions, you know, is a tiny little town in, in Colorado and has the hometown feel and, you know, the family atmosphere that I kind of talked about earlier. And Brevard, I think, shares a lot of those same, you know, characteristics. So Dale kind of fell in love with Brevard, but also riding his bike up here and and really, you know, it was around that same time that New Belgium and Sierra Nevada announced that they were coming to Asheville. And I don't think our decision had anything to do with them. Dale just really loved this area and uh, and knew that, you know, if he was going to have to visit a place multiple times a year, he wanted to be somewhere where he could take his bike and ride his bike <laughs> and uh, get some rides in, you know, before and after work. Um, but I think along with that, you know, I think he knew that, you know, a culture develops around a place, you know, when you can ride your bike and be at some of the best trails on the East coast within, you know, a 10 minute bike ride from where you work. That really affects, you know, the culture of, of who your employees are, but also who your customers are, you know, in the tap room. Um, and so that, you know, that was a, pretty bold move at the time because Brevard's not, you know, the biggest city and it's certainly not, you know, logistically the best place to be. But, um, I think he knew that, you know, we were going to build something special here and, and, uh, that certainly has come, come to pass for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Jeff, I want to ask you about, um, some of the events that Oscar blues puts on, cause you mentioned participating in some of those in years past. So burning can, that's one that's held, I believe in, in Colorado and also now in North Carolina. What, what's that event about for you and, and how would you explain it to people who've never been? Aaron would know some, some more specifics as, as to how many different breweries, but but Burning Can is a craft beer festival where Oscar Blues invites in different craft breweries from all across the country. And as a person coming to the festival, you can sample all different beers from all these different breweries. And then there's a huge music festival that's part of it. And then in true Oscar Blues fashion, they like to add a bunch of different activities for people to do that are kind of in line with what Oscar Blues likes to do. So they usually have mountain bike rides. Um, there is a beer run at some of them or both of them. There is a really cool event in Lyons, Colorado that we had last year called Rad Track, which was basically like a closed course. It was kind of fashioned after the movie Rad. So we did a, we did a, a, a four, four up. So I guess head to head to head to head race where you would take a lap around this track and it had, different obstacles and stuff. Nothing too crazy because we want to make it all inclusive to anybody who wants to come and give it a shot. But you would race head-to-head in an elimination-style format over this kind of wacky, goofy, um, closed course, bicycle course. Um, so they had that event. Um, how many breweries do, do they typically have at them, Aaron? It's like over 70 at this point. Wow. And that's really interesting, too, that a that a brewery would put on a thing for other breweries. I mean, it's not, it's not a competitive thing, I assume. No, and it actually started, you know, it's, it's been going now for, I think this is like the 10 or 12th year in, in Colorado, and we're on our uh, seventh year in North Carolina. So it really started, you know, out of the craft beer in a can thing that, that Dale started with, with Dale's Pale Ale in 2002. And, and back then it was, 
you know, kind of unheard of to have, it was definitely unheard of to have a kick-ass beer out of a can like Dale's. And, and so the Burning Can Festival was sort of a, a, a way to celebrate, you know, the breweries that were hopping on the, the, the trend with us and putting beer in a can. And now everybody does it. So it's not like a unique thing. Now it's a little less novel than it used to be, but you know, it's still really, it, it, to me, it's, it's everything that Oscar blues is in an entire weekend. Um, so it's exactly what, what Jeff described. There's like 70 plus breweries at each of them, music all weekend, camping, and then a ton of outdoor events, bike rides, of every variety there's yoga there's a paddle trip so it's it's a great weekend it's it's um you know it's fun to invite all of our brewing friends there and and all the beers poured out of cans still so um, it's a uh, it's cool it's in it's uh it's in uh may in colorado and and early august in uh north carolina so check it out for sure okay Awesome. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that Oscar blues was one of the first to can craft beer. Well, what's the advantage? Why are cans better than bottles? I mean, it seems like everybody's doing it now, so there must be an advantage to it. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of advantages. I think the question really should be why people are still bottling. <laughs> it's nostalgia. I mean, people, like you said, people had this I mean, I remember this several years ago, right? People placed a premium on beer out of a bottle. They claimed it taste be- tasted better or maybe it looked cooler. I don't know. But, but yeah, there are advantages that they can, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, the fact that aluminum is infinitely recyclable, you know, that, that's a huge, you know, benefit. Aluminum's just a better product at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of communities don't recycle glass anymore, which, which a lot of people maybe don't realize. It's more expensive to, to recycle glass and you actually end up with less material than you started with, unlike aluminum. So, and then for the beer itself, I mean, you know, you think about a brown bottle, which is, you know, the typical color of, of a beer bottle, you can still see the beer inside that bottle, which means that there's light that's still getting in that bottle. And, uh, the two things that, that, you know, can ruin beer are light and oxygen. So if a little bit of light is getting in, it's still, you know, not as good as a, a completely, uh, opaque, uh, aluminum can that prevents all light from getting in. And then you can get a better seal on the top, um, of a can, you know, that keeps all that oxygen out. And so the beer, you know, stays fresher, longer, you know, it's also lighter. So if you're talking about shipping, you know, we talked a little bit about shipping across the country earlier. You know, you can, your carbon footprint is a lot smaller if you're shipping lighter products. Um, and it's also cheaper for, for the brewery. So a lot of benefits there. And then we haven't even talked about the most important part about being able to take it wherever you want um, on, a, on a bike ride or or camping, you know, hiking, boating, whatever, uh, mu- music festivals. So, uh, like I said, I mean, I think in the very beginning, you know, Dale talks about people laughing at him when, when he was trying to sell this hoppy pale ale out of a can and they just didn't get it back then. But now I think, you know, the, the script has kind of flipped and I don't really understand why people are still putting beer in bottles. <laughs> I've seen I've seen some advertisements from some of our competitors where there's you know this nice camping scene and then people are drinking out of bottles and I just don't I don't understand how they got there with those <laughs> bottles or or what they're going to do with those bottles when yeah. they're done. You know? <laughs> yeah, smash them against some rocks. That's what we want, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. One of the, I guess the only uh, negative I've heard from one of my buddies is that the can makes more noise when you open it. So he can't like quietly open it so that his wife doesn't hear him, you know, cracking a beer <laughs> after dinner. Oh, there's an, there, there's definitely an art to that. You got to get the right, the right tone of uh, cough that, uh, that completely drowns out the, the opening of the can. Yeah. Not that I've ever done that in a movie theater or anything like that. 
So Aaron, what, what kind of trends are you seeing in craft beer styles today? You know, when, when Oscar blues was starting out, it was, it was all about really hoppy beers like Dale's pale ale and a lot of the IPAs and things like that. Are you starting to see that change at all? Are people looking to other styles of beer as they, you know, move through the really hoppy beers? You know, the, the funny thing is, I mean, you know, I think it's it's the media's job to constantly look for, you know, what the new thing is. Um, and, and so these things pop up that, that people, you know, assume are, are the new and big things. But if you really dig into the numbers and, and you know, I'm, I'm a marketing guy, so I, I try to not focus on the numbers too much, but... You know the the sales guys when they bring the numbers to us. You know, IPA is really the st- the only style within craft beer that's still showing growth, and it's massive growth. And so because craft beer as a whole is growing, so you know all these other styles are kind of either flat or or declining a little bit, and IPA continues to grow like crazy. So there certainly are you know segments within the IPA category that are like uh, those locale beers or, or lower lower ABV and those those have seen a little bit of a of a spark recently I think there's also outside of IPA I think people are starting to look back towards um, you know lighter options like Pilsners and Lagers um, I think we'll continue to see that grow you know as people either move from you know big domestic beer to craft beer or also, you know, are introduced to these lighter options within the craft beer segment. You know, a lot of people that have been drinking IPA for 10 years might get a little tired and, you know, some of those great, we've got a new lager series called slow chill, which, you know, is a rotating series of, of three different lagers throughout the year. And, um, I think there's been a lot of attention, um, towards that brand. I think people are pretty excited about, you know, all the possibilities of within the lager segment, there's a, there's a lot of variety that I think, you know, still can be explored. Yeah. Interesting. What about within IPAs? Another one is the hazy IPAs. Is that one still going pretty strong or was that like a kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing? Oh, I think, you know, that's the thing I, I said, you know, there's all this growth within IPA as a whole, but you know, if you can break down IPA into all these subcategories and they each kind of come and go. So I think hazy, I think hazy will probably be here to stay. I don't think it'll be quite as fervent as it was like a year ago, a year ago, you know, if your beer wasn't cloudy, you know, it almost wasn't worth drinking for some people, but, but, you know, I think, I think people are starting to realize that the haze doesn't necessarily mean it's a quality beer. And so, you know, I think that that will, I think it'll be here to stay, but I don't think it's going to be quite as, quite as, you know, ubiquitous as it was a year ago, you know. Hmm. Interesting. So you mentioned, it sounds like Dale's Pale Ale was, was that the first Oscar Blues beer in the lineup? Yep. Yep. That was the first one that was canned, yep. Okay. And then you've got other, like, standards that have been around a while, like Mama's Little Yellow Pills and Old Chub, which is is probably one of my favorites. Are the recipes for those tweaked a little bit over time, or is that the kind of thing where, like, you know, if, if Dale's was changed from, like, that original recipe, would people get upset and, like, not drink it anymore? Yeah. So, you know, this is something that I've learned in my time in the beer industry that I think is fascinating. And 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 we get this question a lot about like the recipes and and matching flavor. And and I think, you know, the the thing that people I think often don't realize is that these hop hop, the ingredients that you're putting into the beer are, you know, they're agricultural ingredients. So they're grown every year. Um, they have a season and there's a certain time of year when they're harvested. And so, you know, it's not like, uh, the, the, the product isn't a hundred percent consistent, um, depending on, you know, uh, climate and weather patterns and, you know, various things. The, the hops from one harvest can be a little bit different than the hops at the next harvest. So, 
Um, you might have the recipe written down as a certain uh, amount of pounds of a certain hop variety, but you have to tweak that every year as the different hop harvests come back and have different flavor profiles. So it's not really about the recipe. It's more about, you know, what that beer, the flavor of that beer um, as intended by the brewers. Um, and so, you know, the recipe does actually change slightly in order to maintain consistent flavor. And, and so they're all kind of evolving um, constantly, but with the goal of maintaining the same flavor. Um, but it's kind of a, a little bit of a moving target because, like I said, those the malt you know can change from year to year, and, and hop varieties can can have a difference between last year's harvest and, mm -hmm. and this year's harvest. Yeah, and I guess beer too. I mean, you kind of touched on this, but it's like it's pretty ephemeral, right? Like you couldn't you couldn't save a can from 2018 Dales and then you know, pour it in a glass and, and put a brand new Dales in a glass and drink them and try to compare them because obviously the older one is going to, it. you expect that one to taste a lot different. I mean, it's not going to last, right? Right. Yeah. That's the thing that, you know, I, I definitely didn't understand as a college student, you know, doing, doing a keg stand, like beer is a, is a high quality food product, you know? And so, it does de degrade and especially hoppy beers um, are going to change over time. So, you know, the fresher you can get it, the better. And it, that does make it tricky to compare, you know, between recipes or, or batches of Dales. You know, we do various things. We have quality control labs at every single brewery of ours. And so we're constantly blind taste testing beers throughout the entire life cycle um, when they're in the building being brewed and also after they're packaged um, you know we're tasting beers you know to sort of simulate what they're doing on the shelf as well hmm. interesting well i imagine you can probably compare two different dales that were produced at two different facilities is is that difficult to make a dales brewed in north carolina say taste exactly the same as one that's brewed in colorado i mean i think it's 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 definitely difficult in the very beginning um i think you know i was here when we were getting started in north carolina and there was a lot of back and forth about um the the different water um and, and the minerals that are in the water here versus the minerals that are in the water in, in Colorado and how that changes. And, and they have to actually add minerals, um, in order to match, um, you know, the water before we even start brewing. So yeah, there, there's a constant battle. Um, and like I said, we have these amazing lab techs that are constantly working on this stuff and we've gotten a lot better at it too. I mean, I used to, I used to, be, do the tasting at, we do every day at 11 o'clock at each of our breweries. There's a, there's a tasting. And, you know, back in the day when, when I was going to it, it was really just eight to 10 dudes in a circle drinking beer and shooting the shit about what they thought about it, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot of science going on. Um, but now, you know, they've got, They've each got, you know, this app on their phone that they're logging in. You know, there's no talking, huh. first of all. Yeah, you don't want to influence. Yeah, you don't want to influence each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very serious. It's completely blind, you know, and they're um, logging in their, you know, quantitative measurements of, of uh, flavor and aroma um, on their phones individually. And then all of that is pooled together and uh and compared to you know either you know the the same can from colorado or or a different batch that we have in-house um so it's pretty amazing it's it's pretty complex you know i'm i'm just the marketing guy so i don't understand you know all the ins and outs of it but a lot of effort goes into matching those flavors to make sure you know that they're consistent between facilities and between you know the the dales we brewed last week and the one we've got going on this yeah, week. interesting jeff do you have a favorite oscar blues beer that you like tbipa <laughs> i had the opportunity to do a beer collaboration with 
Oscar Blues this past year or or this year. Um, and it's called TBIPA, which is ah. short for Trail Boss IPA. Oh, wow. But um, prior to that, I would say Dale's or Pinner. Um, Pinner, just because it's a little bit lighter. So, you know, if you need to hydrate a little bit extra after a ride, you can mm-hmm. do so without, you know, wanting to sleep off the ride the rest of the day. Yeah, interesting. Well, I have a question. I don't mean to put either of you guys on the spot. This is a question that just kind of came to me probably, I guess, over the weekend before we are having our conversation. But is there ever any concern that like this promoting bikes and beer together could lead to some problems? Like obviously like driving under the influence is a problem. Um, and same with biking. I mean, in most places you can, you can be arrested for the same exact thing, uh, if you're biking under the influence. So what, like, what would you tell people, I guess, that are choosing to, you know, have a beer after a ride, like not to harsh the harsh, the flow here or anything, but like, do you, are people concerned about that? Like, do you get, you know, groups writing to you saying like, this is irresponsible or like, yeah. What, what's kind of your thoughts on that? I'll, I'll give that to you first, Aaron, since you're the marketing guy. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're pretty clear to say that, yeah, these are post ride refreshments only. And, and, you know, we have to be real careful with that at our events and at the rebranch, you know, which is also a, a functioning bike park. And, you know, there's absolutely no riding if you've had anything to drink. So, you know, like you said, we don't want to harsh the vibe, but nothing is going to harsh the vibe more than if somebody gets hurt or, or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, it's core to the culture of Oscar blues to, uh, to share a beer with your buddies after a ride. We don't really emphasize the after ride, but it's a very important part of that sentence, uh, which is after the riding for sure. And in a lot of places too, I mean, it it may not be allowed. I mean, it depends on where you are. If you're in a, I think like most national forests, you're probably not supposed to do it. I mean, maybe it depends. I haven't, haven't researched it myself and I know plenty of people do it, but yeah, I guess that's another concern is to make sure you're doing it in a place where you're allowed to. Yeah. Another benefit of being uh, having a brewery right outside the National Forest is <laughs> we're only we're a short bike ride away. Yeah, yeah, and the brewery too. I mean, it should be mentioned. I've stopped at the the brewery in Brevard many times. You know, after a big ride in Pisgah, and you know that's that's a totally appropriate place to go and and drink several beers. Yeah, absolutely. So one final question uh, for you, Aaron. So how has the explosion of like new craft breweries over the last four to five years affected Oscar Blues? I mean, Oscar Blues is is one of the early pioneers sort of in this space and, and is now one of the biggest. Uh, do you see like an effect from all these new breweries or, or is this like a case of all, you know, rising tide lifting all boats? Well, I mean, I, there's definitely an effect, but I think it's not quite as simple as as um, most people talk about it as being a bubble. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy the numbers. The, the like, there were I don't know hundreds of breweries, you know, like ten years ago, and now there are thousands. Yeah, and, and more in the planning stages, you know, every day. So, you know, I think the the thing that I always say is for for the corner breweries, you know, for your hometown brewery, and there's there's still a lot of runway for uh, little small breweries to open up um, to service, you know, a neighborhood or you know, ten neighborhoods within a city. So that there is, I don't really think we're even close to a bubble when you look at that scale. You know, the small, the super small scale. Where it gets a little tricky is is in the medium scale, um, kind of where Oscar Blues was a, a few years back, uh, and this is part of the reason that we've partnered with some other breweries and created the Canarchy Canarchy Craft Brewery Collective, which you, which you may have heard of, yeah. Um, but Canarchy is is a group of breweries from across the country that sort of share resources. Um, Cigar City Brewing is, is one of the other big ones uh, from Tampa. Got breweries really all over the country. And so, 
you know, we've kind of banded together in order to weather some of the storms of being, you know, a sort of medium-sized brewery, and which can make growing a little trickier um, because you have to extend yourself um, in order to, you know, create the capacity to make more beer. Um, and if you're not, you know, constantly growing, you can put yourself in a bad, a bad position. So it's better, you know, to, to share some resources and we have, there's a ton of benefits that go along with that. Um, just, we talked a little bit about ingredients earlier, but we have the buying power of, of multiple breweries. Um, we can really select the best ingredients, um, because those hop growers, they choose who gets to pick first, you know? And so a lot of times they do that by how big the contract is. And so, if you have a bigger contract because you're buying for seven breweries instead of just one, then you have the opportunity to pick, to pick really the best uh, quality ingredients. Um, and then maybe some of the innovative stuff that, uh, um, you know, they're, they're not selling to other people so you can be on the cutting edge. So there's a, there's a ton of benefits of that. And that's the way we've sort of weathered some of the, the trials of the last couple of years. Um, but really, I mean, that's the biggest point I would want to make is it's kind of an oversimplification to say that there's a bubble that's going to burst, uh, it, you know, and I, I, there's so much energy in craft beer and so many great things going on. And I think it's, it's pretty badass to have, you know, eight breweries within a town. I mean, Brevard has 8,000 people and we've got five <laughs> wow. breweries. So, you know, I mean, and we, we love that. I mean, it's, it's great. And, and, and I think there's probably room for more. So, like I said, I mean, those, those little corner breweries that are, that are making beer just for the people, you know, having a pint after work, there's, there's still room for, for a ton more of those kind of breweries out there. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much guys for taking the time to talk about bikes and beer. Uh, really appreciate it. And I know our listeners have learned a ton. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us. So you can learn more about Oscar Blues at oscarblues.com and you can learn more about Reeb Bikes at reebcycles.com and we'll have those links for you in the show notes. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.